Welcome to the I Also Want Money podcast, where our mission is to democratize, demystify, and demasculinize making money. I'm your host, Nicole Kyle, and I'm here with my co-host, Sophie Holm, and ally, Harrison Comfort. So today on I Also Want Money, we're very excited to host Louise Fitzgerald. Louise is a fully qualified independent financial advisor. Uh, What we love about Louise is that she's on a mission to help people make better financial decisions. I think this is particularly exciting because it's our opportunity to ask some of those, maybe what we fear are basic questions about how we get started investing, what's smart, what isn't. Uh, So for a little bit of context, Louise works at Horlock Holdcroft Financial Consultants, and we're really looking forward to having her here today. Now, for an episode like this, we do want to offer a disclaimer, which is this is not personalized investment advice, and it should not be interpreted that way. This podcast is not regulated. We are speaking informally with a certified financial advisor regarding generalized considerations, which might not necessarily be applicable to your situation. Our hope is that this discussion helps provide a context for how we should be thinking about putting our money to work. We are very excited to welcome Louise Fitzgerald to the podcast today. Louise, thank you so much for being with us. Thanks for having me. Louise, just to begin our conversation and appreciating that, you know, certainly in my case, I'm coming from the perspective of I haven't really started investing. I know I'm kind of behind the curve and uh, and should be should be attacking this. When you normally kick off a meeting with someone who is new to thinking about wealth and new to investing, what is the first thing that you want to know? The first thing generally is looking at their history. So although they might not have invested in the past, it's looking at if they've built money up somewhere or they've got savings or, you know, they might have other properties or if they've had anything like that, then that essentially is, if it's a property, it's a form of investment. If it's a savings they've built up, they've got the the capability of doing an investment, but maybe they don't have the right mindset for it. So then it's looking at what their their emotions are around money, uh, how they look at it, how they view it. Um, if they've had past experiences that have maybe switched them off investing or anything like that, or not themselves, maybe they've got partners or parents who have had bad experiences with money in the past. Um, All that sort of stuff can have a real impact on how people view money. Um, So very early on, we try and establish what their risk appetite is. So we would ask them to fill out questionnaires, which ask them statements about different things. um, And that can give us a good idea about how people think about money in the very first instance. Um, and then we can, you know, help them from there in terms of putting portfolios or investments or anything like that together. But yeah, you can't really do a lot if you don't know how people feel about money, because you need to know that before you can put them in the right position. So just picking up on that in terms of risk reward and understanding risk appetites, can you just explain that a little bit more? Demystify, what does that mean when you say, you know, risk appetite, risk reward pref- uh, preferences, etc.? Sure. Okay. So we look at risk appetites on a scale of about one to 10. That's probably the most basic way to do it. So if if you're not open to taking any risk on the stock market, you're really not comfortable with investing at all, you're a one on a scale of one to 10. And really, you should just have all your money in cash. Um, but you've got to be open to the fact that that's going to be decreasing in value with inflation. Um, you know, inflation goes up every year around about two and a half percent. And if all your money is just holding held in cash, then £100 now is not going to be £100 in, say, 10 years time. Um, and then you can slowly tick up the scale. So, you know, two, three, four to a five out of 10. As you as you go up that scale, you're slowly increasing your exposure or your 
your happiness to invest in in exposure to things like that. So as you go higher up the risk scale towards the five out of 10, you'll be holding less in cash, but more in the way of sort of low risk investments. So things like uh, gilts, which are government bonds, that they're really low risk, uh, fixed interest, all those sorts of things are low risk investments. Um, and as you move further up again, sort of if you go above five out of 10, uh, sort of five, six, seven out of 10, then you can start to throw in more equity holdings. So that's holdings in companies, either in the country that you're in or um, further afield. You know, you can hold hold the money in, in equity all over the world. Uh, you know, US equity, um, if you really want some high risk stuff in there, you can throw in some uh, some Japanese equity, some, you know, Asia, Asia Pacific equity. Um, but you wouldn't see any of that in your portfolio until you're going higher up the risk scale. Um, but, you know, the younger you are as well, the more time you have. If you have a long time term horizon in mind, then you can afford to take a little bit more risk with your money. Because, as you know, the stock markets have taken a bit of a dive recently. But if it's long term money you're saving, you've got time for that, you know, time for that to come back up again. And the stock markets are already showing a bit of recovery today. So that'll just come with time. How important are so you're all you're talking all about the emotional um, relationship to money that people have, but how important are other characteristics like your age, your sex, your life goals? Yeah, so all those sorts of things have a massive impact on on the amount of risk you're willing to take. You've got to have in mind if it's for a particular goal and you're not happy to forfeit any of that money for that particular goal, then you would have to stay down the lower end of risk, uh, risk scale. Um, but age is a big factor too. You know, um, the younger you are, you've got more time on your side, so you can ride out dips in the market. Women generally tend to have more of a cautious approach to investing. Um, as you know, as yourself has said, that it's, I think it's more of an emotional thing. Um, they're more cautious about money. They like to keep it in as, as safe as they can essentially in a bank account or in, in something where they can physically see it and they know that nothing's going to be happening to it and that's fine to an extent but you can't be sitting there with thousands and thousands of pounds in a cash account you know you, you need to be doing something with some of that money if you're getting into bigger numbers otherwise it won't really be doing you any favors you know you're not going to be seeing any returns really especially with interest rates at 0.1 percent um you won't be getting anything back really and if if you want to you know, use that for covering maternity leave or covering salary when you might be taking a break from work. You need to have that in mind and have a plan before that time comes around so you can put those things in place. And on the basis that women tend to live longer and if you look at earnings charts, they tend to have their salaries peak earlier than guys. Could you make the argument that women should be more risk-seeking than guys when it comes to investing? You could make that argument, but I think a lot of women wouldn't agree with you on that one. Um, but yeah, potentially, because their earnings, like you say, they, they peak higher, then they should probably be exposing themselves to higher risk when they're younger. Um, but it's getting getting younger women to get in that right mindset and to actually open themselves up to that sort of thing. Um, but then, you know, they, they are probably thinking about things like if I'm going to be having a career break or I'm going to be doing this or going to be doing that. Um, that, that probably all those things helped women to probably think that, oh, I don't know if I'd be open to losing this sort of money or if I'm going to be investing, then I, I'm really not sure if that's the right thing for me. Um, I think it's confidence. It really is having a confidence to open yourself up to investing and realizing that it's not all risky risky stuff, you know, that you can have low risk investments and still have a really good performing portfolio. Louise, I 
think it's fascinating and really reassuring that you said you start out conversations with clients by trying to get to know getting trying to get to know them as a person and trying to get to understand their emotional relationship with money because at least in my experience I feel like my assumption is that financial advisors won't do that that's why I don't go to them I'm worried about my own ignorance kind of coming coming across and just and just making me seem you know non-credible and and just kind of being a non-starter in that case so I I think it's really cool that you're exploring that emotional relationship with money as someone's like as an indicator of what to do with someone's investments and how to help them manage that money. And you said there a moment ago, it's all about getting women into that mindset to investing. In your experience, what is the key to getting into that mindset? I think it really is understanding. Um, I think if you throw the word stock market at someone, if they really have never invested before, they sort of think, oh, oh no, I don't know what that means. So therefore, I'm going to stay completely clear of it Um, until you can really sort of break it down and help them to understand what the FTSE 100 is. It's just 100 companies, the 100 biggest companies in the UK. That's what it's made up of. And it's just the returns of that company shown on a graph. Um, But until until they understand that, um, I think that's the first step of getting them to have a bit more confidence in investing. Um, you know, if you don't understand something, you, you, you stay clear of it, don't you? I mean, you're not just going to you throw your money at something that you've got no confidence in. Um, so I, I think getting people to, or getting women generally, to understand how investments work uh, and how products work too, you know, things like uh, ISAs, pensions, savings accounts, deposit accounts, you know, all those sorts of things. Um, I think really, you know, women should be seeking out financial advisors more because we you know they've had a bad rep in the past certainly but the whole profession has been completely overhauled and it's definitely more about getting to know your clients and doing right by your clients you know we have such long-term clients on our books that we're all about the long game for people we want to be taking them on when they're younger and seeing them all the way through their financial lives and right through to retirement and I think a lot of firms do that too but it's really trying to get the clients in the door when they're in their sort of 20s and they're their earning potential is rising and rising and rising and then helping them to do things like save for houses and, you know, start families and save for their retirement and things like that. So you talked about a number of different types of funds or products uh, right there, but just taking a step back, the concept of a rainy day fund and how much you should be saving, what is too much money in your bank account? And is there any kind of rule of thumb around ratios of savings versus um, investing? Yeah, definitely a rule of thumb for emergency funds. So rainy day funds or emergency funds, whatever you want to call it, but essentially that should be money that you've got set aside so that if you lost your job or you were out of work for whatever reason, you could cover your your expenditure for three to six months. Um, and I know a lot of people don't have that sort of money saved anywhere, but at the minimum, you should have, say, three to six months of your salary saved in the savings account. And that should be not in, not invested, but that should be in a cash account that's, you know, just a savings account, a bank account that you can easily get your hands on if you were made, you know, made redundant or whatever tomorrow. So, you know, you've got a buffer sitting there. Um, anything above that, anything above, say, six months salary, if, you, if you're starting to have, say, 12 months salary sitting in a savings account, you should really start to be looking for some other places for that extra six months salary to go. Um, and then really anything above that, if you're still starting to build up more and more and more uh, cash savings that are just sitting there, you know, and you're starting to get to the point of having maybe two years or three years of your salary just sitting in a, in a savings account, that's the point where you need to be needs to be looking elsewhere and doing something better with that money because you're not going to be seeing much return on it. 
How would you respond to somebody who said, well, I only have 500 pounds or 1,000 pounds? They just said, you know what, it's not even worth it because I don't have that much to put in anyway. I would say start with that. And if you're getting to the point where you've put aside a, a savings account anyway and you've built up those savings, you must have been saving on a regular basis or on an ad hoc basis to get that amount saved in a savings account. And if you can say keep saving regularly, you can save into investments on a monthly basis. So you can start with, say, the £500 that you've got over your six-month salary, and then you can just keep paying monthly into it. Yeah, it, it's interesting, this link between savings and investing. Uh, and I think one of the things we've observed when we talk to our friends and other millennial women uh, is that there's this assumption that our approach with saving should be our same approach as investing. And I think that's where the the low risk profile or low, low risk tolerance, I should say, maybe comes into play. So would you suggest or, or, or what type of different attitude would, would you suggest women adopt to their investing fund versus their savings um, account? It's difficult to say because it, until risk profile is established, and we would do that by way of a questionnaire, um, and actually that's a really helpful tool because it asks people questions and it's just asked for your gut reaction. So whether you agree or disagree with statements, you know, people will always be able to complete that without probably even really thinking about it. But then we would plug those through a system and it would tell us the risk score. And some women might think they're really low risk, but actually they would come out maybe a or five or a six out of ten. In which case, she's you know, we'll sit down and say to them, well, you might think you're low risk. But actually, what you've told me, you actually have the, you know, the the potential to invest in higher risk areas. You know, what are your thoughts on that? What are your feelings about that? And what are your aversions to that? And then we'd address those aversions and try and, you know, try and help them to understand that it, it's not all, you know, the most the high risk assets that you'd be invested in. Um, but I, I think people think investing is just it's just if you have a lot of money or it's just if you're a certain age. But it, it's really not. It's for everybody. So here's a, a limiting belief, Louise, that I have that I'm hoping you can help me overcome, which is my assumption as someone who I think, Sophie, between the two of us, I have the I am more risk averse yeah. than, than you. Um, and I um, my limiting belief is that I think because I'm risk averse, I can never make money through investing. Like only people willing to take that high risk reap these high rewards. Um, that's not true. <laughs> Um, admittedly, you can get higher rewards if you're willing to invest in some higher risk investments. But if you're right up that top end of the scale, you're going to see some really sharp drops too. So you've got to be open to all that volatility. But if you're taking low risk and low exposure to investment risk, you can. There are still some really great funds and investments out there that you can you can invest in. They're low risk. Um, they employ certain uh, certain elements, certain characteristics that bring the risk profile of the funds right down. But that doesn't mean you can get. You know, you're not going to get any money back. You, you know, you can invest in these low risk areas and you can still get about two to five percent return. Um, it's, it's just, you know, knowing the right place to look. And that's that's what we do as a job. You know, we know the places to look for clients who are whatever risk profile and how to get them good returns based on however low or however high their risk profile is. One of the scariest things or maybe disappointing things is, you know, when you do invest and you put money into the market, in the near term, when you see it go down, I mean, this would be a pretty relevant time at the moment. How do you advise your clients or talk to them in terms of helping them manage when the market goes down? Yeah, so as I'm sure you're probably aware, the markets have gone down and I've certainly spoken to a few clients in the past week or two that are a bit concerned about it. But really, 
there's nothing you can do. The best thing to do is to ride it out. Um, people say, oh, should I send all, sell all my money out of my investments? Like, absolutely not. That's the worst thing you could do. If if you start to sell all your money when markets are down, all you're doing is crystallizing that loss and you're, ne- you're never going to make that money back. But if you can leave the money in there, the markets will start to go back up and you'll start to get your money back. If anything, when markets are low, you want to be paying into it. Um, but people don't always do that. And that's kind of a, if you're an experienced investor, that's when you start to do that sort of thing. So I, I've I've definitely paid in more in this uh, downturn just because you know optimizing um, opportunity. Yeah, well done. But are there, yeah, exactly. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, <laughs> you too. By the way, by yes, the way, did. you did I your did. first one. That's right. Um, are there any any basic rules of investing in a downturn or a recession? And are there particular products that are good in a downturn that you should keep an eye out for? In terms of products that are good, uh, essentially it's the actual investments themselves that are going to be the what you're looking at. So it doesn't really matter where you're investing, um, if it's in you know savings accounts, ISAs, uh, pensions, or whatever, um, or general investment accounts, all those sorts of things. It's all about the investments that are within those accounts. Um, and if there's not really a rule of thumb in terms of when you're paying in in a recession um most people like to think they can play the market and they think oh it's, it's as low now as it's ever going to get i'm going to throw my money in now that never works because the next day it's going to be down another five percent so people like to think they can play markets but really they're they're totally unpredictable so i've definitely taken an approach and that's thanks to harrison because he's kind of like hammered that approach into my my head of like incremental um investing so I wasn't comfortable six months ago investing at all. So I started with, you know, 2,000 or 3,000 pounds. And then I've, you know, added up and top, top, top more into um, my ISA and also my pension accounts. Why is incremental approach to investing um, something that you often hear referenced? Yeah, so we would do, you know, even if people pay in lump sums of money, we would generally phase investments in over, say, three to six months. Because if you put all your money into an investment, say someone paid, I don't know, 10,000 pounds into a stocks and shares ISA in January, then they'd look back and go, oh, really, I should have waited and I should have done it at the end of March because I would have got so many more shares for the same amount of money that I've paid in. But if if you try and start thinking like that, then you're going to try and start playing the market. And then, you know, that's just really gambling with your money. And unless you're happy to do that, I wouldn't suggest it. Um, So incrementally paying in on a monthly basis means that every time you pay in, if you pay in on the 30th of every month, say, then the, the the stock markets will be doing different things every time your money goes in. And if they're lower at that time, you get more shares for your money. If it's higher at that time, you get less shares for your money. But paying in like that is the best thing you can do. And that's called pound cost averaging. So it means you can spread out, you know, the risk will be spread out because the the portfolio is always going to be performing differently at a different time, every different time, every different day. In fact, if you paid in one, one amount on Monday and tried to do the same on Tuesday, you know, you get different amount of units. So it's um, monthly is, is a good way to do it. It's a good way to make the most of stock market exposure. Um, but it's also just a good habit to be in, you know. Monthly savings is a great way to, to build up savings accounts. So, Louise, I have two hypotheticals I want to get your perspective on. So let's say we have character A who has three months of income saved and has a very low risk tolerance. 
Uh, and then we have character Can we give B. character A a name? Sorry? Can we give character A a name? Character A's name may be Nicole. No, I'm just joking. <sighs> well, I'm pr- pretty close to that. Um, and then you have character B who has maybe six months of their income saved and a high, and thus, and as a result, a higher risk tolerance. What would be the one thing you'd advise character A to do tomorrow? Uh, and what's the one thing you'd advise character B to do tomorrow to start um, growing growing their wealth and investing? So the one with three months savings is low risk, the one with um, six months savings is high risk. Exactly. Yeah. So um, the three months low risk one, I would say build up your savings a little bit more until you've got six months there. Um, and then you could probably look further afield when you've got six months of your salary. Uh, if you're a low risk investor, I would suggest that you know you should have a little bit more in in, in savings in cash before you start to look further afield. Um, for the higher risk investor, if they've got six months of the salary already put aside and they're happy to go for it, I'd go and see a financial advisor, <laughs> or go and see a bank, or go and see someone, or work out how much you're willing to put into investments first of all, whether it's going to be a lump sum or monthly amounts, and, and then do something about it. Get something set up and start. Yeah, go for it. So if you have set up your own account um, and you feel quite comfortable with that and you're getting familiar with the terms and you're getting familiar with different providers and what they're offering, et cetera, how often do you recommend that you look at your portfolio and do any optimizations if you think it's required? Okay, definitely do not do it daily. Okay, that's the worst thing you can do. Um, I would say some people like to do it monthly, some people do it quarterly or six monthly or annually. Um, Quarterly is probably a good bet. Um, It's difficult to see in short term how well funds are performing because you've not got enough data there. So, you know, if you're looking at it quarterly, you know, the first quarter, I wouldn't probably make any changes, but you can at least just see how things are going. And then after six months, that's probably when you're going to get a good idea of, or if I should be making any changes or not. But really, you could probably stick it out for a year before you could properly evaluate how your funds have performed. So, you know, but some some people don't ever look at them and they just come in to see us and go, I haven't looked at this. What's it doing now? <laughs> okay, fine. Um, but yeah, I'd say quarterly is probably a good bet. When clients come to you and they haven't started investing and after working with you, they've started, do you notice any difference in them? Yeah, they're definitely more open to opportunity i think um i think after you know we essentially we financially educate people you know when they come into us and they've never done investing before we you know show them how it works taught them through the process and once they've done it for the first time and they get more comfortable with it and they start to see they start to understand a bit more how it works and how returns work and that sort of thing um they generally come back to us with either you know i've got some more money what should i do with it or i've I've got an inheritance what should I do with it and actually I'd like to up my risk profile or reduce it or I'm not sure if this is right for me they start to really start to have more of an input into the financial decisions that they wouldn't have had before um which which is really good to see because until that point you know they probably would just come to us and say I've got some money I've got no idea what I should be doing with it or I've got this pension but I've had it for 30 years and I've got no idea what's in it um but then after that they start to take a bit more of an active role in you know what their money's doing Looking at savings accounts and maybe going back to the scenario that Nicole was outlining before, the suggestion to keep a three months to six months uh, salary in your rainy day fund or your savings account, what are the different types of savings accounts? Uh, so generally, I would say put that in your bank account. I mean, you can have it in, a, in low risk investments if you want. 
but in a money market fund say um that, that we would still call that stock market exposure to some extent um but if you if you just want it as cash in the bank and you you know you don't want it to be subject to any sort of investment risk then it needs to be in a savings account or in cash in your bank um but savings accounts can be just sitting in your current account or a savings account that you've got with your bank um i mean i know the interest rates are pretty shocking at the moment but you can get sort of some uh deposit accounts that are sort of a 30-day notice account so you have to give 30 days notice before you can get your money out um then you start to see a little bit better interest rates but still you know at the moment they're quite low um but you're putting that money away and that's not meant to be getting you a return really it's just meant to be holding its value so that you can get to it if you need it and you can get to it straight away um that's why we would suggest having that in a you know immediately accessible account yeah and at what point do you pay debt versus start investing or putting it in savings all of these things we're playing around with a word or a sentence called I also. So I also want to be more financially savvy or I also feel good about having done my recent investments. So do you have a I also that you would like to share with the audience of the world? Okay, I'll say I'm also passionate about money. You know, you should be doing more with it and love it. Love your money. You know, it's not just salary coming in a pay packet every month you know like do something with it like make be productive with it yeah i also love money yeah yes and, and not being ashamed to say it yeah exactly uh, i think that's really really important mm. well louise thank you so much is there any final uh, comments that you would you want to bring forward be a bit more open about doing more with money you know be a bit more exciting about it and do something productive with it and if you're not comfortable doing that go and see someone who can help you with it yeah, amazing. I love that. Thank you so much, Louise. This has been really helpful, I know, for me personally. <laughs> no, it's, been, it's been great. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you for listening. If you like what you're hearing, join us in the I Also movement. This means take to your social platforms and post a hashtag I Also statement. Follow us on Instagram at I Also Podcast. And of course, subscribe. This podcast is produced by Harrison Comfort. And the theme tune is by Malin Linnea. 